All right, Proverbs chapter 6 is where we're going to begin tonight. So we're going to continue our verse-by-verse study in the book of Proverbs. We're going to start in chapter 6. We'll see how far the Lord takes us tonight. Proverbs chapter 6. If you need a Bible, um, just raise your hand and Jerry will slip you a Bible. We're probably going to cover chapters 6 and 7 of Proverbs. So go to the middle of your Bible, you'll find Psalms, and then right after Psalms, you'll find the book of Proverbs. All right, while you're turning there, just a couple things that I'd like to announce. First of all, on Friday, the ladies are going to be having their sewing day uh, for Operation Christmas Child. They need to finish up some things, so if you'd like to be a part of that, 9 to 3 o'clock, and the ladies will be here sewing. If you've got any questions concerning what they are doing, then go ahead and call the church office in the morning. Teresa uh, will be answering phones, and she kind of heads that up, and she'll answer any questions you might have. Also, young adults, today is the last day to sign up for your retreat. Um, That's going to be not this weekend, but the following weekend. And so if you have any questions, sign up is at the information desk. You can talk to Josiah, who is leading worship uh, tonight, and he'll be happy to fill you in on all the information on that. So there's a little bit of room that is left for the uh, young adults um, uh, retreat that's coming up uh, again the 5th, 6th, and 7th of August. It's hard to believe August is almost on us, isn't it? So summer's going by fast. Uh, school will start soon with the kids. Don't say anything to the kids. They just go, ah, uh, you know. So we'll keep it quiet for right now. But, yeah, it's on us, and summer goes by so quick all the time. So a lot of people are trying to get summer traveling done and vacation done and, and uh, because school will be starting about mid-August. Um, other things that are there in your bulletin, Sunday mornings, 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock, will be in Luke chapter 7. I love Luke chapter 7 because we just finished the Sermon on the Plateau as Jesus gave instruction to his disciples. They heard him teaching and the standard in which we are to live. And now as we go into chapter 7, we're going to see that Jesus is really going to pour out his compassion on the people. And and I love, there's four different vignettes, stories that are in Luke chapter 7. As he's going to minister to a concerned centurion, he's going to minister to a grieving widow, he's going to minister to a perplexed prophet, and then to a humbled harlot. And in each story, each vignette that we're going to read, we're going to see the incredible compassion of our Lord. And it just touches my heart to a great degree and how we need to see that and to know that encourages me, and it should you, that he desires to have compassion for you as well. In whatever circumstance that you might find yourself in. So 8, 9, 30, 11 o'clock at Luke chapter 7. Uh, We'll start in verse 1 and continue through and begin to look at those studies and uh, come on out to invite somebody out to Calvary Chapel on Sunday. Other things that are there in your bulletin, take a look at it. But Father, we do come tonight and we desire to be instructed in wisdom tonight. And just as we're going to be told that we're to to hang on to it, uh, we're to continue in it, we're to embrace it. And Lord, I do pray that we're here tonight desiring to be teachable uh, in your word, that it's just not academic, but Lord, we want to make it real in our lives. And Father, I do pray that uh, we would have hearts that are soft before you, taking the seed of the word, working it into our hearts. May it be like fertile soil, that it can take root there, and then fruit being produced in our lives. 
Father, we know you want the very best for us. And the very best is a life that is dedicated to you and living for you. So, Lord, I do pray that you would uh, just speak to us through the word, uh, by your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, that, again, we would be attentive because you want to do a marvelous work as we gather. It pleases you that we're here and, and that we're opening up the word of God and studying it line upon line. So, Lord, may it benefit us greatly, uh, and it will as we are attentive. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Solomon here, inspired by the Spirit of God in chapter 6, remember he's writing to his son, and he writes in verse 1, My son, if you become surety for a friend, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth, you are taken by the words of your mouth, do this, my son, and deliver yourself. For you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself and plead with your friend. And verse 4, give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. And so as we open up chapter 6 here, it's going to deal with three things that can really bring difficulty to us, uh, can really hurt us uh, as uh, we read this chapter. First of all, it's going to warn us against unwise financial commitments in verses 1 through 5 that we just read. And then we're going to see that Solomon's going to be instructing his son about not being lazy in verses 6 through 11. And then we're going to see what causes um, you know, the Lord uh, to look at what is displeasing to him. And then we're going to look at immorality and, and the warning against that. So there's going to be warning that is in this chapter that we can learn from. And first of all, we see that Solomon, he starts out by saying, if you become a surety, that is a guarantee for your friend. If you shake in hands and a pledge for a stranger. And I believe that what Solomon is saying here is that first of all, you deliver yourself. Uh, don't put yourself in financial difficulty where you're overextending yourself financially, uh, where you are uh, shaking hands with with a friend, with a stranger perhaps, that as you're doing business, maybe you're a guarantee for a loan. Uh, and, and that can happen. Now, I know that in the business world and at times that we do financial business and, and there are loans that are given, and we're going to see that Proverbs is going to tell us that don't be, you know, a borrower is a slave to the lender. And we want to make wise financial decisions. But I believe that here that Solomon's being a little bit more specific. He's saying, listen, that you make sure that you don't make an unwise decision if somebody comes along and says, will you guarantee my loan? Will you co-sign or something? And that's something that perhaps you have dealt with in your own life, that maybe a family member or maybe a friend or, or you know, a brother and sister in the Lord, uh, you, you say, listen, I, I want to get this loan. Can you guarantee it? Can you be a surety for this loan? And you're going, I don't know about this. And that can be difficult. And I get phones. I've got a number of phone calls over the years of ministry of uh, a mother or father or grandparent or even kids, you know, to their parents or uh, somebody for a friend or another brother, sister, and the Lord saying, you know, they want to get this loan and they want me to 
co-sign it. They want me to be the guarantee. And I don't know about this. And I always read them this verse to say, don't overextend yourself. Don't put yourself in financial difficulty if you sign that guarantee for them. And don't be afraid to say, no, that I can't overextend myself in that way. And there have been, you know, parents that have said, I've done this so many times for my kids that I know that I'm just afraid that they're going to fold and and default on the loan and it's going to fall back on me and I don't want to lose my home. I don't want to lose my car. I don't want to lose, you know, whatever it is that I pledge. So make sure that you do wise financial decisions when it comes to, you know, making, you know, a, a deal where you're going to guarantee somebody, guarantee a loan, co-sign for a loan, and make sure that the Lord gives you a peace and that you're using wise decisions in, in those kind of financial deals. You know, it is okay to say no. Sometimes no is a wonderful answer, isn't it? And there are times where you need to protect yourself in that way. So use wisdom in that. And also, you know, by the way, as a church, sometimes people will come to us and say, you know, can we borrow some money from the church kind of a loan? I just want to say we're not a bank, okay? We don't give loans. And and we don't deal in that way. We have a missions account where we help people with real needs. And we want to be discerning and we want to be wise and we want to be generous. And we've always tithed as a church. And with that money that we have in the missions fund is to fund missions and and to, you know, do outreach and to do radio and and to give away all the, the CDs free and Bibles and things like that. Freely you have received and freely you shall give is what the scripture says. And we have found that we can't outgive God. But sometimes somebody will come along and say, well, can we borrow a couple thousand dollars? We'll pay you back. And, and we don't want to deal in that way. We don't give loans. If we feel like the Lord is telling us to help, we want to do it with no expectations. We want to give and we want to be wise in giving in the real needs that people have. So here Solomon giving some financial you know, um, wisdom. Uh, to his son, dangerous promises you don't want to make that is going to overextend you financially. And then in verses 6 through 11, as we see, first of all, deliver yourself from that. Second of all, teach yourself. As we read in verse 6, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. In verse 11, so shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and you your need like an armed man. So here, teach yourself the value of work. Go and watch the ant. And, of course, we have a lot of ants around. You can watch them. They're always busy and, and working and, and bringing in food. And he, he talks about the one who gathers the food at the harvest and, and how uh, the one who slumbers, the one who is lazy. As we know that Proverbs distinguishes already, we have seen, taking the right path, the path of wisdom, and the wrong path, the, the path of the wicked. Uh, the path that's going to bring hurt and harm to you and you're going to end up in a ditch. We've already seen that Solomon has talked about how, you know, the one who's the fool and the one who is wise. And now he makes a distinction that we will see as we travel through Proverbs between the one who is lazy and the one who is diligent in their work. And one of the things that we see in the scriptures is this, that the Bible 
Bible has nothing good to say about the person who is lazy. Has nothing positive to say about the person who is lazy. But the Bible has everything good to say about the one who is a hard worker. And we see throughout the scriptures that God desires for us to work and that work is good. And we see that principle throughout the scriptures of working hard. And so we need to be ones and diligent in learning to be hard workers. And I think a lot of us in this room, we've had to learn to do that. But parents, grandparents, it's important that we teach that to our kids, that we teach them to work, that we teach them to value good work, because it can be hard. You talk to those who own businesses, who uh, hire people, supervisors, and they will tell you that it's hard to find, you know, particularly young people who are hard workers today, responsible and committed, who are, you know, ones that have good attitudes, and that is more difficult today. Matter of fact, one of the problems, if you talk to a number of supervisors or those who oversee, you know, workers and stuff, they will tell you one of the big problems is this, is that workers come in in the morning and they're so tired particularly young ones, and I don't want to just be picking on young people, but, you know, that seems to be more of the trend, that they come in and they're so tired. Why? Because they've been up all night playing video games. And it's a problem. And they haven't learned that you need to go to bed and you need to get up early and go to work. And so learn to be a good worker. Learn to be responsible. Learn the value of good work, and God will bless that. But I also want to bring it a little bit home closer to us because not only physically, not only in our daily lives practically and being a hard worker, and by the way, I just want to say this, I believe that Christians should be the hardest workers that there are. I believe that's a great witness to our employers and, and to supervisors and to those who own businesses. I, I pray that they look at us as Christians and say they are the hardest working people. It grieves me when I hear that somebody says, I, I don't know about hiring Christians because I had a bad experience in doing that. Because it just is a negative witness to them. I remember when I, uh, years ago, uh, when uh, right before Sue and I uh, got married, that I was working on some grounds at a college. Um, in Colorado Springs and they had the lower grounds the football fields and and practice fields and then I was up above where all the dorms and the administrative buildings and academic buildings were so there's two crews but the crew down below they hired a, a lot of the students that was at a local Bible college there in Colorado Springs and they would come they were working part-times and they were working you know full-time in the summer and, and some of those guys, they, they were good guys. They, they loved the Lord. But they came to me, and they were talking about how uh, they got written up by the supervisor because what they were doing was when they had a break, a 15-minute break, they were going upstairs in, in the break room, and they were having a Bible study, but they were doing it for a half an hour, 45 minutes. And, and they thought they were being persecuted. And I said, no, that's not right. Listen, what you do on your break is fine. What you do at your lunch hour but when you're on the boss's time, you need to be working. And, of course, they weren't happy with me and thought I was being all hard and everything. But it isn't right. You're stealing from your boss. So when you're supposed to be working, be working. And as we know that Paul would write to the Ephesian believers and also to the church of Colossae, that we are to be examples in that, that we are to work as pleasing to the Lord, not with eye service, right? And be an example of a hard worker. I believe Christians should be the hardest, most dedicated, most respectful workers 
that there are out there because it's a witness to other workers and it's a witness to our supervisors um, that hire us and, and it's a good witness. So be a hard worker and um, also I want to take it into not just practically, uh, daily as we work hard in our jobs, but also spiritually. Listen, don't be lazy spiritually. And unfortunately, I think that we live in a day and age where there's lazy Christians that are out there. When Paul was writing to Timothy, he wrote to Timothy and said that be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, Timothy, you be diligent. You, you present yourself approved to God, a worker, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. You be rightly dividing the word of God. And i got to commend you for coming out on Wednesday nights and as we've been going through the Old Testament and, and learning the scriptures. But I want to encourage you to make it a daily discipline to be reading your Bibles in the Word of God, learning the Word of God, because that's where the knowledge of God and the wisdom of God is going to come from, is through these pages, this Bible that, that we read out of every Sunday and Wednesday, that Bible that's in your lap. You be one that you study the Word of God. Be diligent, a worker who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And as we do that, as we grow, and it is the pathway to growth, is studying the Scriptures and knowing Him and knowing the Lord and yielding to the Lord. But we are told all throughout the New Testament, you can look at it, that the Lord says to us that you're to watch and be sober and be vigilant, right? He's saying, don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep, especially in the day in which we're living in, because it is difficult days. It's dark days. It's, it's very evil you know, times that we're living in, as even Paul would give the warning there, some of his last words that he wrote, that evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse in the last days. And there's going to be those who are going to fall away from the faith, given over to doctrines of demons. And there are going to be those in the latter days that they're going to not be given into truth, but they're going to be given into deception and having itchy ears is what Paul writes about, uh, heaping up teachers after themselves that are into fables and myths. And I believe that we're seeing that today. We need to be rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to be watching. We need to be watching because Jesus told us to be watching. I believe that the Lord can come for us, that we are in the last days. He said, watch. You be the wise and faithful servant that's looking for the master's return. Because at a, I come at a time that you do not know. I come at a time that you're least expected. And I come as a thief in the night as we see those analogies that are given to us in the New Testament. You be watching. Don't go to sleep. He would tell the church at Sardis, because you went to sleep, you were overtaken. You watch, therefore, and that really meant something to Sardis as you look at their history there in the book of Revelation, those seven letters to the seven churches, because they were sleepy and lethargic. They were overtaken by the enemy. You see, we need to watch because the Lord can come back for us at any moment. And sometimes there are those who say, oh, you Christians that are looking for the return of the Lord, you know, you just want to stick your heads in the sand. No, he's saying, watch. I come when you're least expected. So let me ask you a question. Do you expect the Lord could come back tonight, tomorrow? Be careful, because he says I come when you're least expected. And I believe, and we don't have time to go into it, that we are definitely in the last days. The signs are coming together. The birth pangs are happening more frequently. 
we're seeing so many signs coming together that show us and point to us that the storm clouds are gathering and that the Lord is coming soon. So you'd be watching, but also you'd be watching as well because Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he is looking for the Christian who is sleepy and sloppy and lethargic and not paying attention so he can pounce on you and pick you off. And he's working overtime in the day in which we're living in. And if you're one that you are not paying attention spiritually and growing and watching and sober and vigilant, watch out. Because the adversary, the devil, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he wants to pounce on you and rip your head off. By the way, did you see that video on Fox of what happened in China? There's, there was a video, a cam, of, of talk about unwise, and, and it was sad. But there's a wildlife park that's, that's there in China by Beijing, and, and cars can drive through it, but they have wild animals, and some of those wild animals are Siberian tigers that are roaming around. So they tell them, they have signs, do not get out of your car. Do not get out of your car. Very unwise, danger. And so what happened is the cam, uh, you know, video recorder, um, it, it recorded a car coming up, and it stopped, and there was three people in the car. There was uh, a man in the driver's seat, there was a woman in the passenger, and then a woman in the back. Well, apparently they got into an argument. I don't know who was arguing with whom, if it was a husband and wife, a girl, a boyfriend, two girls, whatever it was, there was an argument. So the girl in the driver's side got out of the car in the park, went around to the driver's side, started yelling at the man, and all of a sudden this Siberian tiger comes up and grabs her and drags her off, just like that. And then the man and the woman, the woman in the back seat, get up, and they run after her. The man comes back, but the second woman who got out of the car ended up being killed by this Siberian tiger. Talk about unwise. Listen, don't go into his territory. And one of the things that will happen if you go into the territory of the enemy because you're being unwise, because you are involved in sin or carnality, he's going to pick you off. It's true what the Bible says. He's like a roaring lion sinking whom he may devour. So we want to walk in wisdom. We want to be alert. We want to be paying attention spiritually in the day in which we're living in. So here's Solomon. He's given these warnings. First of all, deliver yourself. Second of all, teach yourself. Don't be lazy. Because if you're lazy, listen, you're going to have difficulties in life. You just are going to have difficulties practically in life and then spiritually in life if you're lazy spiritually. And then in verses 12 through 15, we are to guard ourselves, number three. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. And therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. And suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. So we're to guard ourselves. Guard yourself against the one who has a perverse mouth, who's a worthless person, a wicked man. He's one that winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He's pointing his finger. He's, he's full of pride, in other words. He's a smooth talker. He's sowing discord. And it's interesting. We're going to see what God feels about the one who sows discord. We're going to see very clearly that he hates it because he mentions it here in just twice in a couple of verses. 
The one who sows discord, who's bringing division, is always, you know, coming against somebody else so he can be elevated or his plan can go forward, which is a, a wicked plan. Um, and we see that he's one that devises evil. So be careful. You be wise in who it is that you link yourself to, the who you're, that you're coming alongside of and being involved in. Be careful, the one, what they say. If they're sowing discord, if they're speaking perverse things. And of course, last week we saw in Proverbs chapter 4 that Solomon said, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issue of life. You see, when somebody speaks things that are perverse or wicked, uh, when they act a certain way that is not pleasing to the Lord, sinful and, and, and you know, sowing discord and, and, and you know, devising evil plans, it's indicative of where their heart is. It's indicative of what is in their hearts because it's being worked out in their lives. So make sure that you guard yourself and know that that person here, that the Bible says that they shall be broken. They will be broken. In other words, they're going to reap what they sow. And that person that perhaps you might think that, man, they're always kind of winking and up to no good, and they're a smooth talker, and they're sowing discord, and, and they're causing difficulties, and they're coming up with plans that hurt people or just are plain wrong. And if you think that they're getting away with it, they're not getting away with it. They're not getting away with it. And a spiritual, you know, principle and promise given to us in Scripture in Galatians is, whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And if you sow into the flesh of the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow into the spirit of the spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. That is a spiritual promise for every single one of us. None of us are excluded. And we are fools if we think, well, I'll get away with it. If I'm sowing seeds to the flesh... Nobody will find out, you know, I'll elevate myself, uh, you know. They deserve it because I don't like them. You're not going to get away with it. You're going to sow seeds to the flesh. Of the flesh, you'll reap corruption. And that's what the Bible says. And that is a truth for every single one of us. None of us are excluded from that. And here Solomon says what's going to happen to the one uh, who, you know, is broken without remedy you make sure you guard yourself and you don't get involved in that. And then in verse 16, what we read is that six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, and a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. There we see that again. So here the Lord says there are six things, yes, seven, that God hates. You know that, um, you know, pop culture tells us, uh, I think there was a song, um, Justin Bieber maybe put it out, Don't Be a Hater. I, I don't listen to him. Maybe <laughs> some of you younger ones know that. But somebody put out a song, Don't Be a Hater. And, of course, we are pressured, you know, don't hate. We're to love and all this. And we are to love. Our weapons are truth and love. But there are some things that we are to hate. We are to hate those things that God hates. We don't hate the person, but we hate the sin. And there are certain things that God says in his word that he hates. And we are to hate evils. We've already seen going through the book of Psalms, as David wrote, that I've learned to hate evil. 
and whatever God hates that we are to hate. And we're to pay attention. There are these things, seven things here, that God says that are an abomination to me that I hate and we are to hate, and that is a proud look, first of all. Pride is what caused Lucifer to fall. And pride oftentimes is the root uh, of a lot of sin. You know, just being prideful. And we're going to read in a couple chapters that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And we have no reason to be prideful. We cannot be prideful in our salvation because it is by grace through faith that we're saved. It's not of ourselves. It's not of works. It's the gift of God. Lest anyone boast. We cannot boast in our salvation. Matter of fact, before Paul writes that in Ephesians chapter 2, he tells us that we are spiritually dead. But God has made us alive through the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, through his great love towards us. We have no reason to boast. When we go to heaven, we cannot stand before God and say, Oh my, I, you know, I deserve to be here. And I did these wonderful things. And we cannot boast in our salvation whatsoever. But the work that God is doing through us, we cannot boast in as well. Because he's doing it. And he gets the glory. And Isaiah declared that God will not share his glory with any man or any woman. Pride is so destructive. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And I know that it's something that we can all be vulnerable to that, that we need to be guarding that, that, Lord, you search me and try me. If there's any pride in me, arrogance in me, if I'm boasting about anything, in myself, elevating myself, thinking I'm better than other people, then, Lord, help me to repent and turn away from that. Because God will deal with you, and he'll deal with me in it. Because it is a terrible sin. And I know that when somebody is very prideful and proud and arrogant, it won't be long before you hear the sound of a crash. Because they're going to fall. And God's going to deal with them. So we need to be humbled before the Lord. And he is gracious to the one who is humble. He shows himself strong to the one who is humble. The one who recognizes our need for the Lord. The one who depends on the Lord, surrender to the Lord. So number one, a proud look. Second of all, a lying tongue. And we know that Satan, what caused him to fall was what? Pride. He said that he wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to sit on the throne. He wanted to be worshipped. But we also know that Satan is the father of lies as well. And we can look at this and read this and say, of course, God hates lying. And it's more, listen, it's more than just telling a lie. But are you living a lie? Is there anything in your life, my life, that we're hiding from people? Any kind of hypocrisy? Any way being deceiving? You know, deceiving in a, a very subtle way. Not being truthful. You see, if there's any area of your life that you have to hide it, then you're living a lie. You're, you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. You know, you can be a Christian and you come here on Sunday and, and you're worshiping the Lord and, and you're raising your hands and you say the Christian terms and hallelujah and amen and how's it going, brother? But how do you live the rest of the week? Is it your mouth is 
coming out of it, deceit and, and corrupt words and corrupt speech and, and you know, being vengeful and, and, and just acting like the world. We don't want to live a lie. We don't want to live a lie. So he hates lying words, obvious. But Lord, I want to be honest. I don't want to be a fake. I don't want to be a fake light. I don't want to be a fake disciple. There is a difference between a believer and a make-believer. And we need to be like Paul says, that Lord, you search me again and to examine ourselves to see if we are really submitted to the Lord, that we belong to him. So lying words, second of all, shedding of innocent blood, of course, life is sacred. It's amazing how some value life so little. We live in a violent society today. We live in a society that is getting more violent. Lawlessness is abounding. Jesus said that in the last days, that's one of the characteristics that lawlessness will abound. I was at... um, with um, in the county with a, a law enforcement luncheon and appreciation and and uh, with the guys with the Weld County Sheriff's Office and some of the other uh, peace officers from Weld County just you know appreciation and and I was praying for them and being with them and the county commissioners were there and and, I, and it really encouraged me that I know that the citizens of Weld County that we show so much more support for our law enforcement than in other parts of the world. But, you know, they, they talk to their brothers in, in blue in different parts of the country, uh, and they don't have that support in some uh, other areas, and, and they're scared. And, and it's a fearful thing, the day in which we're living in for them. And again, as I want to remind you that Romans chapter 13 says that they are ordained by God, for righteousness to come against that which is evil. They're called ministers of righteousness. God's ministers for good, and we need to support them and pray for them. But we live in a society where, man, it's so violent, isn't it? And it's not just that, but the shootings and everything else. We continue to shed the blood of unborn babies, 58 million since 1972. And so there's a devalue of life that we see in our society as a whole and in the world. And of course, as he says, the shedding of innocent blood. And I think that we agree with that and we say amen. But again, I want to bring it home a little bit closer to us. What about character assassination? Oh, we're not shedding innocent blood, literally. But you're assassinating somebody's character. You slander against them. You, you gossip against them. You're trying to pull people into to, you know, siding with you to come against them. What about that? And that is going to go with number seven that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. But we don't want to be involved in those things. And, and then number four, a heart that devises a wicked plan that leads to number five, feet that are swift to run to evil. Be careful that one who's always planning trouble, difficulty, that which is going to be harmful, that which is wrong, dishonest, that's not pleasing to God, and, and feet that are swift to run to it. 
I think it was just a couple weeks ago I told that example when the kids were little and, and the house that we bought, it had a septic tank and we had to clean it out. And when we first, you know, had to clean it out and the kids were small playing in the yard and I took the lid off and they all ran over there to see what it was and uh, so curious. And when they got there, it's like, ooh, it stinks and all of this. Of course it does. And yet Christians, it seems like they will run to, to that which just stinks, They'll run the sin. They'll follow somebody that, you know, will take them there. We need to be wise and need to be careful. God hates the one who devises wicked plans and, and the feet that swift to run to evil and then a false witness, speaking falsely of someone. And, and listen, we can speak falsely of somebody usually when we're angry with them. And we start talking. They come up in conversation. And if we're angry, angry with somebody and we're bitter towards them, all of a sudden, exaggeration comes in. And we want to be so negative towards them. And, you know, and, and, and a false witness. We start saying things that aren't really true. Uh, we just want to get in our digs. And we want to just really put them down. And I will say this. If any of us, and me included, if we put somebody down so we can be raised up and we can look good, again, that's something that is not pleasing to God and it is wrong. And it's not of the Lord. So we come to the last one, the one who sows discord among the brethren. The Lord hates that. He doesn't hate the person, but he hates that discord that is there. Paul, when he was addressing the Corinthian church, those of you who study Corinthians, and we've done that very carefully here at Calvary Chapel, that as you go through it, there was a lot of problems with the Corinthian church. And the very first problem that Paul deals with is their division. It was a concern of Paul. Some of you are saying that you're of Cephas. Some of you are saying you're of Apollos. Some of you are saying that you're, you know, uh, of uh, of Paul, there was division and it brought carnality. And he said, I'd love to talk to you guys as to spiritual, mature Christians, but you're carnal. You're babes in Christ because this division that was going on, they were full of pride and puffed up. Well, we belong to Apollos. He, he's smart and he's elegant. Well, we belong to Paul, the great Paul apostle. Well, we belong to, to Cephas, to Peter. He's even greater than those guys. And, and they were boasting in all that. And that was a problem with the Corinthian church. So Paul addressed that very specifically. And remember that Psalms 133 tells us that how good it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Be careful when somebody comes along and is sowing discord amongst the brethren. Hey, I don't like them. I don't like this leader. I don't like the pastor. You know, come and follow me. I'm going to pull people into my circle, sowing discord. And God hates it. He hates it. Numbers chapter 16. Moses and Aaron are there. And all of a sudden, Dathan and Korah and 250 of the leaders they brought with them to, to Moses and Aaron. And they said, Moses and Aaron, you take too much upon yourself. You think you're really special, don't you? Well, we're special too. And they were challenging their leadership. And what is interesting is that as you read chapters 16 and 17 and put the pieces 
of the puzzle together and what's being said, they were particularly challenging Aaron, the high priest. And Korah, who was leading this from the family of Korah, and you know from your studies in Numbers chapter 4, the three families, Maronite, Gushanites, and the Kohites. That was the third family. And their responsibility was what? To carry the furnishings. They got to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And Korah, he comes and he's not happy with that. He wants to be the high priest. He wants to be able to go into the Holy of Holies and, and see the Shekinah glory of God, to be in the tangible presence of God, which Aaron was ordained by God to do. You guys think you're special. Well, we're special too. And they led this rebellion and this discord. And you know what happened? You know, if you read that chapter, that the earth opened up and swallowed up all those guys they were done for. And one way to find yourself, for me to find myself in a pit and being swallowed up is sowing discord among the brethren. God hates it. And he's already mentioned it twice. The one who sows discord, that's the one you got to watch out, guard yourself against. It's something that God hates. He desires for us, if there is problems, for a biblical manner and way to, to approach your brother and sister and to talk to them. And guidelines given to us in Scripture to deal with it in a biblical manner. But sowing discord is not one of those ways. Solomon, known for his great wisdom. And one of the stories that we read about is there is two women that came to him, two harlots, lived in the same house. They both had babies about the same time. They slept with the babies, and one of them rolled on their baby and killed the baby. So she got up, and she went over and took the other baby that was alive and put it in her bed, and then the, the dead baby in the other woman's bed, and they came before Solomon. There was an argument. There was contention. Whose baby, the live baby, belonged to? And, and they both said it belonged to them. So Solomon said, okay, this is the way I'm going to solve it. I'm going to take a sword. I'm going to cut the baby in half. And the one who wasn't the real mother said, yeah, let's do that. Let's divide the body. Let's cause a split. But the real mother who showed love for her child said, we're not going to do that. The one in love is the one that says, I don't want to sow discord. I don't want to have the body be divided. And that's the loving thing to do is desire for there to be unity and harmony with one heart, one accord, one spirit. That's what God wants. And that's what the world needs to see. So seven things that the Lord hates, and we continue here, is he says, Now, my son, keep your father's command, and do not forsake the law of your mother. Uh, bind them continually upon your hearts and tie them around your neck. And when you roam, they will lead you, and when you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, uh, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instructions are the way of life. So again, exhorted to keep the godly wisdom and live in godly wisdom. Don't forsake wisdom. 
Keep wisdom close to you. That's, that's the poetic language that is here. Tie them around your neck. When you tie a necklace around your neck, it's, it's close to your heart, isn't it? Make sure it's kept on your heart. Continue in it is what Solomon is saying to his son. Uh, it will keep you. Um, it will speak for you. It will lead you is what he says in these verses. And you know what the sad thing is? Solomon known for his great wisdom. The Lord came to him and said, what do you want, Solomon? Oh, I don't know my coming in. I don't know my going out. This is a great responsibility you've given to me as a king. I need wisdom. And the Lord was very pleased with that answer. So he gave him great wisdom. And what happened? Solomon forsook that wisdom. He forsook that wisdom over time. The word of God says, Solomon, three things, or when the king comes, when you ask for a king, he said that before they even got into the promised land in the book of Deuteronomy. He said, when you have a king and you ask for a king, three things that they are not to do. Number one, they're not to multiply gold. What does Solomon do? He multiplied gold. They're not to multiply horses. What does Solomon do? He multiplied horses. If you go to Israel with us in February, when we go, we're going to see some of the remains of Solomon's stables that had as many as 400 horses. And he had these stables all over Israel. He multiplied horses. And the third thing that they were not to multiply is wives. He had a thousand wives and concubines. And many of those wives were foreign wives that believed in foreign gods and would pull Solomon into idol worship and the nation into idol worship, we see that Solomon began to burn incense to those false idols. He, he built altars and little temples to them to appease his foreign wives. Solomon, known for his great wisdom, but he didn't continue in it. He ended up ignoring it. Listen, we can think, particularly for those of us who have journeyed with the Lord for some time, oh, I've been to church and, you know, I've studied the Bible. And pretty soon, again, we start to become sleepy and sloppy spiritually and we begin to ignore God's word. I know better. It's okay. Nothing's going to happen to me. And we need to, every day of our lives, till the Lord takes us home, to continue in God's word and in God's wisdom. Again, wisdom is not just having the knowledge, but having it worked out in your life. And Solomon ended up ignoring that. So verse 24, to keep you from evil as well, the evil woman here, and from the flattering tongue of a seductress. So here he's going to be warned of, of adultery. And, and as we read this, he uses the example of a woman, but it could be a man who tries to seduce. In verse 25, do not lust after her beauty in your heart. Uh, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. And for by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes and not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent." If you commit adultery, you're going to get burnt. You're playing with fire. There's no way you can play with fire and not get burnt. Being seduced. You see, as it says, the flattery. Don't, don't give in to flattery, and that's how it will start. 
Unfortunately, again, over the years, I've talked to, to those who have committed adultery, the pain, the hurt, and it was a process. They didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, I'm going to commit adultery, you know, out of the blue. It was a process. First, the flattery, maybe a neighbor, maybe somebody at work, maybe somebody at school, you know, uh, as they're taking classes, whatever it might be. Even I've dealt with somebody at church. And they begin to flatter. And, you know, flattery and, oh, you're so nice. You're so understanding. I wish my husband would, would talk to me that way or I wish my wife would, would, you know, say nice things to me and the flattery starts. And then after the flattery comes the fantasy. Oh, I'd like to spend more time with them. And you find ways to, to find time and you start giving your heart to another and then comes the fall. It's a process. Beware. Be careful. You're playing with fire. Giving your heart to another, you know, buying into all the flattery. Giving in to all of that. Here we see that we're being told that you need to be careful because of the consequences. Flattery. You know the saying, flattery is the food for fools. Don't play the fool. So the warning given here. He continues here in verse 30 that people do not despise a a thief if he steals to satisfy him. When he is starving, yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. And whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. And he who does so destroys his own soul. You know, I I wish society isn't going to teach this to you, all right? Society is going to say, well, no big deal. Some cases acceptable. Understanding. It's not just a physical act. You're destroying your own soul. Is what the Bible says. As you join to another. There's a oneness. You're destroying your own soul when, when adultery, because the definition of marriage and adultery is any kind of sexual activity outside the marriage relationship. Fornication, when you see that word in the New Testament, is any kind of sexual sin. But adultery particularly is in the case of the, the one who is married. Outside of that marriage relationship, God has given us that we can have physical intimacy with another within the marriage to be enjoyed. But a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh there's a oneness that happens there and when adultery comes it it just cuts so deep and it 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 affects the soul society isn't going to tell you that society is going to laugh and snicker and and you know say it's not a big deal in some cases so here, as Solomon continues, he says, Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. For jealousy is the husband's fury. Therefore he will not square in the day of vengeance. He will accept no recompense, nor will he appease through you, give, though you give many gifts. In other words, in verses 30 through 35, if you steal, somebody's hungry, if somebody's hungry and they steal and they get caught, uh, you can understand is what Solomon says. You understand that, but they still have a penalty. They've got to restore sevenfold. But the one who commits adultery, there's no understanding there. They lack understanding. And it's selfish. 
And it's hard to restore. It's hard to restore, is what Solomon's saying. For jealousy is a husband's fury. He will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept recompense. Not going to appease by giving him gifts because of the hurt. Everyone loses. And there's only one way for restoration. And that is the work of the Lord, to bring healing and forgiveness, which he will do if the two couples allow that to happen. He restores the years that the locusts have eaten. But it causes hurt. Listen, I don't know if this is a word for anybody here tonight, but if you're messing around in a relationship where there is flirting, there's flattering, there's fantasy, stop. Because you're going to get burnt. And through my years of ministry, I have seen it causes me to shake even guys in ministry. They have lost their families, their marriages, their reputations, their ministry because of adultery. And they got burnt bad. And yes, there's forgiveness. And yes, there is the Lord that can bring the healing, but it's hard and it's difficult. So Solomon's saying, stay away from it. And that's why the Bible says, walk in purity and holiness. Walk in that. Because it's a loving Father that doesn't want you to get hurt. So Father, we do come to you. We ask that you would just, Lord, as we look at these things, the warnings that are given to us in this chapter, we've taken our time going through it, that we would take to heart, that we would, that we would protect ourselves, that we would guard ourselves, that we would teach ourselves, that we would pay attention and not go by the way of a fool or be unwise or involved in sin. The reason that you hate these things listed here is because of the hurt that it brings and the hurt that it brings to us and to our families, to others around us. So, Lord, I do pray that tonight that if any of us are flirting with any of these things that are unpleasing, maybe laziness, maybe, maybe it's just attitudes, maybe it's something more serious than that, that we would give it to you right now and confess it because you know it anyway. And we wouldn't take these things lightly. Father, I know that you desire for the gospel to be presented tonight. Because there may be somebody here going to listen to this message later. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. As I said, you can't save yourself. You can't earn salvation. It comes by recognizing that you're a sinner, just like the rest of us. We're all born sinners in need of the Savior Jesus who lived a perfect life, the Son of God. And he came and he died for you. There's a sin problem separated us from God. 
has caused death, spiritual death within us. But Jesus came and took our sins upon himself and died on that cross. And he cried out, it is finished. I've done the work. I've made atonement for your sins. He put into a grave and he rose again. So I do, I want to take the time. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you can't walk in godly wisdom. Because you see, godly wisdom is having the knowledge of God's word, but it's having a relationship with him. That only comes through Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit and dependency upon him as you become a child of God. But you need to be forgiven and yield your life. And the hope of heaven is given to you and right relationship and access to the Father only comes through Jesus. It's not about a set of rules that we're talking about. It's by recognizing my need for the Savior of the world, Jesus, that I am a sinner. And if that's you, will you pray that, Jesus, I come to you and I confess that I have sin and I ask that you would forgive me. I surrender my life to you right now as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me. I believe that you're alive, that you're speaking to my heart. And I thank you for hearing my prayer and loving me and dying for me. Thank you for this new beginning and this newness of life. Help me to live for you and to know you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. But I also want to pray for us that are here that maybe there needs to be a, a recommitment, a rededication, a reaffirming. Maybe just you've been going down a road and you hear the Lord tonight saying, come back. Come back to wisdom. Come back to me. If that's you, cry out to him. Right now, right where you're sitting, to say, Lord, my attitudes, or I've been lazy spiritually, or any of these things that the Lord has spoken to you about. I've been flirting with this sin, this carnality. I've been going down a road that is not right. Lord, help me. Because he loves you. And there's forgiveness. And there's strength to be given to you. To free you. Don't keep going down that road that's going to lead to destruction and a fall. Into a pit. He delights when his children comes to him. In the honesty of your heart, give it to him right now. And Lord, I pray for those who are praying. That you see their hearts, you know what's going on that we come tonight not just, again, to get an academic lesson, but, Lord, to really draw close and to confess. And, Lord, walk out of this place being free and spoken to and benefited. Again, I thank you for this time. And I pray that we would continue to move forward in the things of the Lord, growing and walking in wisdom. Bless your people here. And as we go home, may we just continue on with you tonight and tomorrow, staying close to you, binding your wisdom like a necklace close to our hearts and in our hearts. And Lord, knowing that there's blessing and benefit that comes from it, and you will give us the strength and the help to be able to live that way that you want us to and to walk in that wisdom. So I thank you for tonight. Bless everyone here. Take us home safely. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Why don't we stand?